All right, so we had Thursday night for most of us, Friday night, Saturday morning, and now we are to Saturday night. We have this session and Sunday morning, uh, and it just continues to build on itself because uh, we are in John 10, and we are going to see uh, how our character, as remember this morning he talked about how he is changing our character into his character, right? And then with, along with that comes then conviction, comes conviction. So uh, we are going to begin with um, knowing that, once again, we are called his sheep. By the way, you know, on there, you did find the little sheep right there in the pasture, right, grazing? You see it, right? Okay. We are called his sheep. We are called his sheep when he knows us, and we know him. There's all kinds of other sheep, but then there's his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You and I, when we're his sheep, we're just not any old sheep. We're just not any old sheep. We are his sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture. And in his pasture is where he grooms us to be more and more his sheep. He grooms us, he grooms our character into his character. Just like many of you said tonight, what the Good Shepherd's working on, right? And he's grooming us into his character, okay? That's why we can follow him then so willfully. We want to be right at his feet. We want to be right at the path, okay? No one has to coax us anymore to follow him. We want to follow him. He's our shepherd. No one has to coax us. We hear him, we respond. Say the verse with me again today, ready? My sheep... Hear my voice, and I know and they follow me. John 10, 27. Once again, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 10, 27. Uh, it, uh, we invite all of you to come to a Bible study if you're not involved in one of the four. I'm teaching through James, and I have chosen 17 different verses that we are to memorize. So we've been memorizing them. And so I'm going to sort of show off you ladies, if you know, remember the one, James 1, 22? Do you remember this one? Look at you guys look like, thank you. Steph, excellent. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. One more time. James 1, 22. Sorry. Okay. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James 1, 22. You know why we can do that? Because we're his sheep. We're his sheep. So we're not just any old sheep. Plus, Jesus isn't just any old shepherd. He's the true shepherd. Right in John 10, 7 through 10, Jesus is making an absolute point here. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the one who protects and promotes life. The false shepherds do not do that. He says, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And then in the paraphrase of the message, it says this, those exact same uh, verses. 
Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. <clears throat> I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Let's watch this video about the gate. I want you to see those visuals, like you saw this morning with the sheep following the shepherd. I want you to see that the shepherd is the gate. The shepherd doesn't have a gate that he monitors, that he opens and shuts. The shepherd himself is the gate. And Jesus, the good shepherd, says, I'm the door of my sheep. I'm the gate. Of my sheep. So Jesus is using another picture from the farming time in his time, okay? So out in the pasture lands, when you saw this visual, okay, you saw that pens were made of stone basically, and there was only how many entrances? One. One, One entrance. The door to those sheep pens was the shepherd himself. There wasn't a door. 
The shepherd was the door. The shepherd was the gate. He laid his body across the entrance. He himself, okay? He was the one that kept the sheep in and allowed the sheep to go out to pasture. The shepherd, in fact, was the door. He was the gate. And then the word of God says what? All the others are robbers, right? All whoever came before me and all they weren't true shepherds, they were robbers, they were thieves. That's who they were, okay? A thief implies what? It implies deception, it implies trickery. A robber implies violence, it implies destruction. And so these robbers and thief sh uh, shepherds were taking away life. They were taking away life. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I give life to the full. I give life abundantly to my sheep. Those are con men. Those are muggers of the spiritual world. The false teachers who did what? They want to lead you astray. They want to lead you astray. But he says, my sheep don't even hear them. My sheep don't even hear them, okay? So Jesus says that his sheep are evident that they're his sheep because they don't hear the robbers. They don't hear the false teachers. They don't follow those people. They only follow the true sheep. Excuse me, the true shepherd. They only follow the true shepherd, who is Jesus. Now, these false teachers no doubt assumed authority over the people of God and compelled obedience. Right? They were compelling obedience. But the true children of God would not find their voices attractive ever, and so therefore they would not be led out of pasture or in pasture. Then Jesus says, look, I'm the good shepherd, and you're going to be saved, right? Through going in and out and find pasture. He will be saved. You'll go in and out through pasture. So Jesus describes this settled, satisfied life enjoyed by his sheep. Satisfied, settled life enjoyed by his sheep. Those whom he exercised his shepherd's care over. That's how we're supposed to be. And the word going in and going out, it, it, that phrase points to all the actions of our life. All the actions of our life. In other words, the, the free activity of our life, going in and coming, going in and going out. Okay, it's a common Old Testament expression, meaning just the activities of life. In fact, Psalm 121 says this, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your what? Coming and going, both now and forevermore. He watches over our coming and our going. And then back to John 10 again, what does he say? He says, I've come that my sheep may have life and have it abundantly. Not just any old life. I'm giving you life to the full. I'm giving you abundant life. Jesus said this to contrast his shepherd-like care with the unfaithful and illegitimate shepherds. He was contrasting it here. They came to steal they came to kill, they came to destroy. I come to bring life. I came, come to bring life to you. I come to bring life to you. And life to the full, abundant life, over and over and over again. And the Greek word for abundance is parisos. And it's a mathematical meaning, which means surplus. It means surplus. So the abundant life 
is above all the contented life in which our contentment is based upon the fact that God is equal to every emergency and is able to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? The abundant life is above all the contented life in which our contentment is based upon the fact that God is equal to every emergency and is able to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, abundant life doesn't necessarily mean a long life. Abundant life isn't an easy, comfortable life, necessarily. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Not what he gives us but who he is and how we are in him. That's enough. All the rest is just surplus. So tonight, we're going to go through what does that look like to live a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus? What does that look like? What should my life look like if I'm living a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus Christ. It's really easy to say that. I came to give you life, life to the full. You should be settled. You should be living in this. You should be living in the joy of the Lord. You should strengthen it. Uh, well, what does that look like? Well, thanks for asking. We're going to go through that. Number one, accept what you cannot change. Accept what you cannot change. My mom always said over and over again, in acceptance, there's peace. In acceptance, there's peace. You remember this prayer? You guys probably remember this from years ago. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, right? Okay, it's the same advice that parallels the teaching of Jesus who asked his disciples in this verse. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Have any worriers in here? Look at all you guys, little worrier sheep. You know what? He never intended for you to worry, ever, ever, ever. He came to give you life and life to the full, that settled satisfaction life of contentment in him. And by the way, if you worry, is that going to add to your life or perhaps take away from your life? Uh, yeah, take away from your life. I'm going to give you an example as we walk through um, these um, points of what it looks like to live in satisfaction and contentment in Jesus Christ of my infertility, because it really parallels this. I went through infertility for four years, up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, I was the problem. Like Becky said, she was the problem. I was the problem. I could get pregnant like a rabbit. I could not carry the baby. I was actually called a habitual aborter, a horrible label to be called. And uh, so I would get pregnant easily. However, the baby, I could not continue with the baby. And so I needed to accept what I could not change. I needed to accept that, okay, this is what it is. 
and I need to refocus, and I need to refocus on Jesus, okay, and I, not my circumstances. Remember? Remember how I always do this, right? You focus on Jesus, not your circumstances. If you're focusing on your circumstances, you've got a warped view of Jesus. If you focus on Jesus, you see your circumstances through him, and you absolutely accept what you cannot change. I could not change that. So what I did is I started refocusing on him and not my circumstances. And I wasn't blaming him for it. I wasn't blaming me for it. It was a situation that I could not change. That's the first thing. You accept what you cannot change. In acceptance, there is peace. Secondly, you put a price on what you already have. You put a price on what you already have. Someone has said there are two ways to be rich. One is to have all you want. The other is to be satisfied with what you have. Two ways to be rich. One is to have all you want. The other is to be satisfied with what you have. The wise words of Solomon says, better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Okay, when you grasp for the wind, do you come up with anything? Nope. No, no, no. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Put a price on what you already have. So in my continuing infertility, um, through much progesterone, I was taking suppositories and Brian was giving me a shot um, in my butt every day and, you know, all, you know, in, in oral medication and everything, I was able actually to carry a baby to five months along, of which she then died in my womb at 22 weeks. I had to deliver her body um, with a medicine called Pitocin. It was 25 hours of labor. And um, we delivered her and uh, just a sweet little, you know, they don't have any fat on them. It's just a cute little red pumpkin who had already moved to heaven. And um, after she had been birthed, um, probably four or five days later than that, after I was out of the hospital, uh, we were sitting at Applebee's uh, with Brian's uh, co-worker and his wife. We were taking them to uh, an Easter play over at Elmbrook. And they didn't know Jesus yet. And we were all excited. We were sitting there. And I never forget this. I had purple pants on. And I looked down at my purple pants. And they were totally red. I was hemorrhaging. And uh, I looked at Brian. I said, Brian, look, uh, we're in a booth. And I said, Brian, I'm hemorrhaging. And he's like, okay we need a call. And I'm like, just, just, get the, just get the green aprons and put them around me. Applebee's green aprons, right? Just get them. And so um, they brought me into the, um, the restroom. And then, a call, of course, they called 911. What had happened is they had not gotten all the afterbirth. And so my body was still thinking I was pregnant. And so it was still building up blood upon blood upon blood. Um, my organs um, were shutting down. I was losing an inordinate amount of blood. They rushed me to Elmbrook, not church, but Elmbrook Hospital. And uh, wouldn't you know, one of the emergency guys was there. Uh, 
I'll never forget, and he's just packing me, packing me, packing me, and two of the nurses, they had been in choir and stuff, and so we're all singing, and it was just an amazing time, literally, of praise. Here I'm laying there, and I'm like, I'm just thanking the Lord constantly. Thank you that, that you know, this was caught. The very next day, Brian and I had gotten married in Maui um, years before, and so we were going to go to Maui for some respite because we had lost our little baby. And the very next day, we were going to have left on the plane. And the doctor said, had you have done that, you would not be here. You would not be here. Put a price on what you already have. Put a price on what you already have. I had my life. I had my husband. My husband had me. And we were grateful that we had each other. What does it look like to live a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus, the Good Shepherd? Three, you got to be realistic about your expectations. Be realistic about your expectations. Sometimes dissatisfaction is linked to frustrated expectation. Did you hear that? Dissatisfaction is linked to frustrated expectation. The common theme is unhappiness is not found in what we experience, but in what we expect. Not in what we experience, but in what we expect. Pushed to an extreme, nothing is more discouraging than to expect everything to be perfect now. Because guess what? We're in a fallen world. You're either coming in a problem, you're in a problem, or you're coming out of a problem. All right? There's the fallen world. Okay? So be realistic about your expectations. Once again, my mom's amazing wisdom, which came directly from the Lord, she said, the only way to find satisfaction is to have this one expectation, Margo, and it's that each day is an opportunity to delight in the Lord. Each day is an opportunity to delight in the Lord. There's the expectation. So when you have your expectations um, of your husband, you have expectations of your children, expectations I had of being able to have a child, expectations of your career, expectations you have of your friends or of your siblings or of your church or of your finances or of your ministry whatever it is the expectations that you have listen carefully you will always be disappointed you will be if you set up expectations to be met quite frankly most of the time your husband doesn't even know you have these expectations <laughs> So what happens is, is he's constantly failing them, and he doesn't even realize he's failing them. And then you walk around, you don't even think about me, you know, you're bad, bad, bad sheep, and right. So we do. That's what we do. We've got to be realistic about expectations, right? You're always going to be disappointed if you put expectations in others. Anybody. Anybody. You need to have all your expectations in Jesus Christ alone. Period. He will never fail you. Remember Ken this morning? He was all madder and hatter. He was mad at the church, mad at God, mad at this and everything. I'm like, they're always going to fail you, Ken. But Jesus, he'll never fail you. 
Your expectations rest in Christ alone, the Good Shepherd. He will never, ever, ever fail you. So continuing in my infertility saga, after my baby dying at five months along, I was strongly cautioned not to get pregnant again. But my heart's desire was to have a child, and God reminded me he had his best plans for me, and he had his best plans for my husband, and he had his best plans for my little family that he had planned for me, and all my expectations were to rest in him alone, period. I've got this, Margo. I really do. Have all your expectations in me. I love you. I'm the good shepherd. I give you abundant life. I give you life to the full. Just keep following hard after me. That's who I am. So I came to the place of being able to trust the unseen. If any of you have been with me for a while, I say it all the time. You trust the unseen. The unseen is way busier. He is at work. He's on the scene before you are. And let me tell you something. The scene, S-E-E-N, is pretty yucky compared to the unseen. You trust the unseen. You put your eyes on him, and you trust him over and over and over again. And I remember coming to the point, laying across my bed in our bedroom, and I said, Lord, if we never have a child, I trust you. I know that it's absolutely your best for me and for my husband. So I put all my expectations in Jesus Christ alone. Fourthly, you put trouble to work for you. You put trouble to work for you. The joy-filled person is the one who enjoys the scenery when taking a detour. Right? You're like, whoa, this is just so beautiful. The person next to you is like, we're going to be late. We can't be this. this is, we're on the wrong street. We didn't follow the app. Waze didn't get us here. Google didn't get us here. You know, this thing. And she's like, oh, look at the, look at the leaves. Aren't they just glorious? Shut up. Right? 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 Put trouble to work for you. Uh, the joyful person is the one who enjoys the scenery when taking a detour. The pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity, while the optimist sees the opportunity in every dis difficulty, right? Absolutely, over and over and over again. The Apostle Paul gave us his own example of someone who, in absolute terrible circumstances, found what is good about weakness. He found what is good about weakness, that it gives an occasion to depend on the strength of God. It gives an occasion to depend on the strength of God, the strength of the Good Shepherd. In 2 Corinthians 12, it says, That is why, for Christ's sake, Paul says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Read with me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if you remember the Apostle Paul, he was a veteran of prison cells, beatings, assassination attempts on both his body and his character, but he wouldn't allow his circumstances to take his joy. Did you know that no one can rob you of your joy? No one can. You have to give it away. No one. No one can rob you of your joy. You're the one that has to give it away. 
And so he didn't allow his environment. He didn't allow his troubles. He didn't allow any of those to affect him at all whatsoever. He had an attitude of gratitude. My mom always said, oh, Margo, never lose your grateful heart. Never lose your grateful heart. So Apostle Paul didn't allow the outside circumstances, right, his troubles, to determine his attitude. Because why? Because his attitude was rooted in something no situation could ever take from him. His attitude was absolutely rooted in his love relationship with Jesus, his good, good shepherd. I hear his voice. He knows me. I know him. I follow him. It was rooted in the good, good shepherd. And with Jesus as your anchor for the attitude, right, Paul then was able to focus on the good that God was bringing out of an ugly situation. Right? He works it together for the good, Romans 8.28 says. So in my infertility, I chose to do the same thing as Paul. In all my infertility struggles. And as we got pregnant again, I lost another baby at three months along. And I remember them saying, Margo, um, your body can't take any more of this. And we're highly recommending that you don't get pregnant again. But what was so sweet is I remember I quit asking Jesus why. And I resigned and just said, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? What am I supposed to learn through this? You lay down all your whys, W-H-Y-S, right? You lay them all down, and you say, Lord, what are you teaching me in this? I'm here. I'm listening. I'm your sheep. I hear your voice. You know me, and I want to follow you. Margo, I want you to trust me more. I want you to be content in me. I want you to be satisfied in me. I have the absolute best plans for you. And so Brian and I just kept trusting, and we kept walking. And then we saw other doors opening into the area of adoption. So the fifth thing is then, how do we learn to be satisfied and content in Jesus Christ, is to have confidence in the Good Shepherd. To have confidence in the Good Shepherd. Remember Corey Tenboom, right? Corey Tenboom. She was known to say, When God is all you have, you will find He is all you need. When God is all you have, you will find He is all you need. For that reason, the New Testament says this in Hebrews 13, verse 5 Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Good Shepherd, I will never leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. Have confidence in me. I know the way. And as I kept walking through my infertility, I knew that I knew that I knew that he had already chosen children for us before the creation of time. 
And I was just waiting for him to reveal that revelation. And so we expectantly waited. We prayed and expectantly waited. Went through the ups and downs, the ups and downs, the ups and downs. And then we were able to adopt our first daughter. We were at her birth in Madison. And I remember how I thought how God wonderfully prepared me for this. Because my confidence was in him. It wasn't in getting a child anymore. It switched. It was okay. My confidence was in him. It wasn't in getting a kid. It was just in him alone. And the ups and downs, and the ups and downs, you never know if the birth mom is actually going to choose you. You never know, you know, until the TPR comes along, the termination of parental rights, all this kind of thing. So he had prepared us kindly by all the things I had already gone through to build up my faith in when I couldn't even carry a child to completion. How sweet is that? So he built up my faith, my confidence in him. And I kept walking. So Becca was in our arms, and we were able to take her um, out of the hospital. The very first couple ever in the state of Wisconsin who was able to take their child, not to the foster home, because the birth mom said, nope, this is how I want it done. So we were able to walk out, and it was so cute because I walk out, and this, these maids and everything that were, you know, they were working janitorially, they're like, wow, you're the best-looking mom I've ever seen. <laughs> Wow, it doesn't look like you went through anything. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> For a second, I'm like, I'm like, I can hear a still small voice, Margot. Well, actually, we adopted her. So, you know, I looked like this coming in. You know? <laughs> the birth mom was pretty much a wreck. You know? right? She's like, oh, okay, okay, good. Because I've seen a lot of, lot of moms, a lot of moms, right? So then we thought, oh, the second one, okay, Lord, you know what? Our confidence is you, is in you. Our confidence is in you. And we knew that we wanted to um, have a second child, and so God placed it in our hearts to go to Taiwan to begin with. And so it was called Christian Salvation Services, and we were the very first couple that already had a child. So, you know, you give them your whole home study and all the pictures and all your family and everything. It goes to all the birth moms and, and everything. And so it was months and months and months, a very long time. And we finally called and said, you know, um, no one's, like, responded or done anything. He says, yeah, you know, that is, that is bizarre. We'll ask. So they went and asked the moms in... Um, the birth moms in Taiwan, they said, look, and this, and of course, all the pictures had little blonde Becca, and she was about three at the time, and this, this, and, and uh, they were like, oh, no, 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 uh-uh. We will never let those people have our child. Because we had a child already, and they thought their child would be a slave oh. to our child. So you can't change cultures, no. right? Can't change the cultures. So once again, it was like, okay, all right, Lord, my confidence isn't in getting a child. My confidence is in you, is in you. And so uh, our, I remember our adoption agent said, well, why don't you try Guatemala? And Brian was like, okay, Guatemala's great with us, okay? So we went to Guatemala, we went through World Child and this, this, and we remember getting a picture and 
thinking this is going to be the child. And then they called us afterwards and said, oh, I'm sorry, this baby's very, very ill. We cannot allow the baby to be out of the country. And we won't be able to have that baby. Confidence isn't in getting the kid. My confidence is in the shepherd. And so we finally got a cute little big-eyed, brown-eyed, black hair, little pumpkin. And that became our Tori. And so we were able to go to Guatemala. We were only there for four days. And as we were there, um, from Wisconsin, you only have to go one time to see your child. Every other state has to go twice. You have to go first to see your child, then come back, then you can have your child on the second time. Well, we're in the embassy and people, all these adoptive families are there and they're all there with their little black haired little babies. They're like, ooh, it's so, so cute, so cute. And we're in the embassy and, was, and they're like, oh, oh, you're from Wisconsin? Oh, they hate Wisconsin. <laughs> you're gonna have to go back. I'm telling you, they're gonna send you back. They're absolutely gonna send you back. They're not gonna do it. And we're like, we're like oh, well, we didn't know that. Um, well, we only have to come once. Well, I'm telling you, you won't be going with your baby. So Brian and I are just praying, praying. We're like, Lord, you've already made the path straight and we're walking here. So we're gonna have our confidence in you. So they call us up and they said, especially if you get this DA, she especially hates Wisconsin. Sure enough, Brian and Margot Fiesler. And they, uh, the whole crowd goes, oh. <laughs> we walk up and it, you walk up, it's like a movie theater, like an old movie theater where you, know, you put things through the slot and you see them through like a sort of a plexiglass kind of thing and you talk through like a little mic thing. So Tori is on Brian right here. Little Tori is right here, like looking right in like, <laughs> right? Okay, and she starts going through and she goes, well, when's the first time you saw your child? We said, well, just yesterday at the hotel. Oh, from Wisconsin, huh? <laughs> yeah, we're from Wisconsin. Yeah, she's going through everything. She goes, you know, um, you're supposed to be here twice, but somehow Wisconsin doesn't have to be here twice. They were like, um, just following the laws. She says, um, you know, I have every right to send you back. Just like that. And we're like, yes, yes, ma'am. And Brian and I are praying, and Brian, of course, you know, I'm like talking, and Brian keeps pushing my leg like this, like, shut up, don't say anything, right? Like, you know, your husband's like, don't say anything. And so I'm looking, and I said, well, I said, uh, yes, yes, ma'am, we understand that. So she keeps going through, keeps going through. We keep praying. She looks down, and all of a sudden, her whole demeanor changes. And she looks at Tori, and Tori's like still, like it's even. And she goes, oh, baby. Your birthday is June 21st. That's my birthday. I was born on the first day of summer, too, and so were you. That's so amazing. That's so... Whole demeanor changes. Brian and I are like, only God would do that. Only God would do that. She's like, oh, you're going to have such a great life, baby, and this, this. And then she just goes on and on and on and on about it. She said, you know, I'm really, really happy for you and this, this, and, and it was just like night and day. And I said to her, I said, I said, do you have children? She said, no. She started tearing up. She said, we've been trying to adopt, but all the kids are leaving to America. See the backstory? 
There's always a backstory to someone's yep. hurt. Always. Always. And I said, you know what? I'm so sorry about that. I said, could I pray for you right now? She goes, yeah. So I slid my hand under. We had the incredible privilege of praying for her. Confidence in the Good Shepherd. Not in getting a kid. We could not have done that, either with Becca or with Tori. Your confidence is in the Good Shepherd. That's how you walk through this life, content and satisfied with Jesus. And then six, you need to know what to be content about. Six, you need to know what to be content about. According to God's word, there's no virtue in being satisfied with this world. There's no virtue in being satisfied with our accomplishments. There's no virtue in being satisfied with the approval of others. Oh, I got 10,000 likes today. Like, 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 right? All the approval of others. There's no virtue in that. Real contentment, real contentment out of God's word is more specific than it is general. The Holy Spirit urges us to be satisfied with circumstances we cannot change without violating the principles of love, faith, and appropriate hope in heaven. Let me tell you that again. The Holy Spirit urges us to be satisfied with circumstances we cannot change without violating the principles of love, faith, and appropriate hope in heaven. Know what to be content about. Apostle Paul wrote this, I have learned in whatever state I am to what? To be content. Philippians 4.11, okay? Okay, God never, ever, 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 ever intended to let your surroundings dictate your attitude. Ever. He wants you to be shaped by your environment. Not your environment, your environment. Your character that he's been refining over and over and over again to become more and more like him and less and less like our putrid sheep self. That's what he's doing. So if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to the Good Shepherd, there's literally no excuse for self-pity. There's no excuse for a bad attitude. Sorry. None. None. There's no excuse for neglecting your relationship with Jesus. There's no excuse for a complaining spirit. There's absolutely no excuse for spiritual carelessness. There's no excuse for straying from him. There is no excuse for ignoring his voice. Remember, we have a caller ID in us. We have the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me, lives in you. He that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. Know what to be content about. So in, in my infertility, as we walked through almost five years of adoption struggles and joys, it was so, so sweet because we had, had realized that it wasn't about getting a child, but the process had taught us to be content 
in the Good Shepherd, to be content no matter what. My source of contentment was inside me. It wasn't my environment. It was my environment, the never-failing Holy Spirit, a Savior whose plans for me were right on schedule. Can you say that about your life? Whatever you're going through right now, can you say, his plans are right on schedule. Know what to be content about. His plans are right on schedule. His love is endless. And my source of contentment and joy for then and for now and for all of eternity is based on Jesus Christ alone. Here's a picture of our family currently. Uh, that was when Tori graduated from basic uh, a couple years ago. And Tori had, or Becca had graduated, our 24-year-old had graduated from uh, getting her master's in biomedical sciences. Tori is now in the Navy. She's in her third year in the Navy in Norfolk, Virginia. And Becca is working at Medical College of Wisconsin, actually now Children's, uh, in, uh, in, in the lab work and trying to um, find a some kind of a solution for celiac disease. And so she is absolutely loving that. And so, you know, Brian, my husband right there, and I, we're now empty nesters. Because Becca like got her own apartment on my birthday, August 15th. How great is that? So we're like, whoop, new season of life. Right? How great is that? So now we get to be these empty nesters. Plus, as you well know, we became a Nana and Papa. So I just wanted to show you that the pumpkin farm worked well. All right? Tori sent me that. She, about 10 more as well. Um, uh, could you roll them? No, kidding. Um, uh, and so uh, uh, there is my daughter, Tori, and there is my first little grandson, Blaine. Oh, my word. Look at him. He's a spitting image. Look at those chugga-chugga cheeks. Oh, right? Right? And so God is still at work. Know what to be content about. And then lastly, know what wise contentment looks like. Know what wise contentment looks like. When Paul said he had learned to be content, he also admitted to the pain and the frustration. Let's look at Philippians 4. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. See, while godly contentment is Comforting, it's not the same thing as comfort. It does not assure peace of mind. What it does do is it expresses a conviction that God has a right to test our hearts with much or with little. God has a right to test our hearts with much or with a little. Remember he said, I have learned 
to be content. It's a learned character trait. I have learned to be content. So what is the contentment that we're looking for? Well, it's not comfort. It's not wealth. It's not satisfaction with our own accomplishments. It's not contentment with the world around us. But here it is. It is a learned conviction about the goodness, the faithfulness, and the sufficiency of our good, good shepherd. It's a learned conviction about the goodness, faithfulness, and sufficiency of the good, good shepherd. See, contented sheep will live that abundant life the Good Shepherd desires for us. We will. Sheep that have a lot of life, they have stamina. Sheep that have a lot of life have increased energy. Sheep that have a lot of life have an overflow of enjoyment. Sheep that have a lot of life have what it takes to win. Abundant life sheep give honor to the shepherd. We're a credit to him. We're a credit to him. We follow him wherever he takes us. We know him. We hear his voice. He knows us. And we follow him. Why? Because contentment comes from a learned conviction about the goodness, faithfulness, and sufficiency of our good shepherd. Remember this morning, remember this morning that the Good Shepherd starts working on our character as actual followers of him so we can become more and more like Jesus and less and less like our putrid self. And that progression keeps evolving into Christ-like character. Christ-like character, which leads to an overwhelming conviction to obey him. We don't want to disobey anymore. We want to obey him. We want to do the next right thing. We want to please him. We don't ever, ever, ever want to wander away again. We get to the place like Peter. I just, Peter, I just love Peter in the Bible, right? He just, this, I just see him as this big, clumsy oaf who just loves Jesus to pieces, right? And, and in Luke 5, where he tells where Jesus tells Peter to launch out into the deep, go out and get the fish, put your nets down for a catch. And remember Peter's response to Jesus? Remember him? I mean, mind you, he's just come in from fishing all night, and how much fish has he caught? Big goose egg, nothing. He's caught nothing, okay? And Jesus tells him, Peter, go out and fish. Put your nets down. Go out and fish. I'm sure it went through his mind. You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. I'm sure this went, you've got to, I mean, you're a good speaker and all. But you're no fisherman. The fish didn't bite all night. They're not going to bite now. Thank you very much. I've already cleaned my nets. Okay, and nothing's biting. I can't even keep my eyes open. I'm so tired. Come on, Jesus. You can't expect me to do that. I'm sure that might have gone through his head, but that was not his response. Peter just nods his head, and he does just as Jesus requests. He says, at your word, I will let down the net. At your word, I'm your sheep. I listen to your voice. You know me, and I know you. So at your word, I'm going to let down those nets. Because you say so, Jesus. And that's enough for me. And that's enough for me. 
there is a secret to conviction. Right there. What Jesus says is true, and so I will do what he asks, even when I don't like it. Because I'm walking by my faith, not my feelings. If you're walking by your feelings, you're going to be tripped up every single time. You're walking by your faith. Peter was walking by his faith, not his feelings. He says, I will do this. It is not convenient, but I'm going to do this. I am going to follow hard. If it's convenient or not, I will follow. I will obey in season. I will obey out of season. Even when I have fished all night and I haven't caught anything, I will follow. At your word. Because you say so, Jesus. That's enough for me. Because I know you. You're a good, good shepherd. And I follow you. It's as simple as obeying God's command. And as he equips us by his word and empowers us by his spirit, we just keep doing the next right thing, the next right thing, the next right thing. And Acts 1.8 says, you shall be witnesses to me. Peter obeyed the Lord's command, even when he thought it was useless. He thought it was useless. And they caught so much fish, what? The boat did what? Started to sink. It started to sink. See, Jesus cares if you're successful or not. He cares about that, okay? But he knows that the greatest success story is what? Is when you're closely following him up the hills, down the valleys, in the vistas, listening to his voice. Let's watch the end of Becky's video. I was sure Dave would leave. I don't know how he didn't. And if he didn't go, I didn't know how we would ever feel anything but anger towards each other and resentment and betrayal and trust. How would we restore that? But God, he had a plan. I am absolutely certain that God made Dave's day. I'm pretty sure he held his finger on the outside of our door because I was not being Jesus to Dave. <laughs> I was losing weight and I was spotting during the pregnancy and I was so concerned that all this stress and anger was going to abort our little girl. And as my pregnancy became more complicated, Dave suggested that he stay with us until the baby was born. And honestly, it helped to have him there. You know, it's super easy to blame my husband in this situation or to blame anyone that steps out of the bounds of marriage. And I would remind God of that all the time. But I knew Dave had never set out to hurt me. And the truth is, I was just as responsible for the state of our marriage as he was if not more so. I was a believer. I hadn't been praying for my husband. I hadn't prioritized his needs. I prioritized my daughter. 
my desires. I think he felt taken advantage of and unsupportive, and I was unsupportive. And I had unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of him. And then let's not forget that I took on the role of his personal Holy Spirit. And by the grace of God, Dave agreed to counsel. It wasn't until the day that Jillian, Rebecca, was born that my husband told me he wanted to stay. We still had so much anger towards each other, we, we, we barely could tolerate each other. But he wanted to be with the kids. And I was like, all right, Lord, well, it's a start. So we brought our baby girl home and we began the slow, hard fight of rebuilding and forgiving and choosing to love each other. And we just continued that process. So I got baptized a fifth time in 2006, but this time with my daughter, Steph, who was then 10 years old. And her faith proclamation is what motivated her dad to get all his questions answered finally. Dave read Tim Keller's Reason for God and every apologetic book he could get his hands on. And he joined a men's group at our church. And though he had gone to church with me our entire married life, he did not have a personal relationship with Jesus until 2011. And that's the year I had the incredible privilege of baptizing Dave. After all the years, after all the years of praying for his salvation, that was a really cool experience. But I have to admit to you that I held him under a little longer just to make sure it took <laughs> the first time. Dave and I celebrated 30 years of marriage in March. 30! I tell you, I'd do it all over again in a heartbeat. I'm grateful for all of it. For all the yuck that grew us up and formed a stronger connection than we could have ever had otherwise. I'm sure of it. And while we don't have a perfect marriage, we have a very deep love. But first to Christ and then to each other. The strongest cord made of three strands. Our shepherd saved us. Jesus, and we both hear his voice, and we follow hard after. Did you hear Becky's last words? Our shepherd saved us. 
We hear his voice and we follow hard after him. Let's welcome Becky to the platform. Stand here and cry. <laughs> you ladies are so nice. Thank you. Isn't it sweet to hear everyone's story? Isn't it, isn't it just sweet to hear redemptive stories? When I asked Becky, I said, Becky, you know, hon, I've known her for years, and um, she's been in ministry with me for years. And I said, you know, hon, um, we have a lot in common in our BC days <laughs> before Christ. Yeah. And I said, you know, I just, God's really laying on my heart that you need to share your story. Because what happens is, like when I was on the fish, everybody saw me as, oh, well, of course Mary was got, I mean, look at her life. I mean, they she got this and this, this. I mean, look at that. I mean, she just, of course she can laugh and joy and this, this, this. And Daddy Clayton would say, do you know Margo? <laughs> do you know her background? Why don't you go on the website and read her testimony? Why don't you see where she's come from? She's chosen to walk in the joy of the Lord as her strength. She has changed totally. See, you give other people hope when you share your story. And what happens is, is shepherds lead, right? Sheep follow. And, and Becky's incredible story just fits so beautifully in with my sheep or my voice, right? And they hear my voice. And so I'm so, so grateful that she said yes. Not without a lot of prayer. Reluctantly. <laughs> a little reluctant sheep at first. In fact, bad. You're bad. <laughs> she said to me at first, it was so cute, she goes, Margo, I don't think maybe you're hearing right from God. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. <laughs> I said, no, he's laid you on my heart numerous times. I, I've like inserted here. He's like, no, it says, she's like, yeah, okay. And then what happens is when you're obedient, then it just flows. You know that. It flows. And Becky told me that all afternoon, she's been praying with a whole bunch of different women because they're walking through either past or similar or whatever exactly what Becky walked through. See, that's why we're like your encouragement, right? <laughs> because there's hope. And tonight, as we're ending, uh, Becky and I are going to be in the hearth room. And so, if you've never come to know Jesus, come in and we'll pray with you. If you just want to pray about something that, you know, you, maybe you know him personally, but you haven't gone to passionately or powerfully or preeminently, meaning Oliver, you know, he, he's over all of your life, just come in. Becky would love to pray with you. I want to tell you something. We're not your counselors. He is. We're not there to be your counselor. We're there to pray with you. We're there to point you to the counselor, the Good Shepherd. So I'm so grateful, so grateful. And you know, it was really, I knew it was confirmation because she shared with Dave. She said, Dave, you know, I've been asking. Okay, so Dave used to hate me, just so you know, okay? Um, she was a stench. Yes, I was a stench, okay? And now he loves me. I mean, it's a good, good thing, right? And Dave, she said, Dave, I'm going to share this. He goes, absolutely, absolutely. 
you have my absolute you know, stamp of approval on that. Mm -hmm. So you know that you know that the Lord is at work. And so I want you to understand that the Good Shepherd, how we started out tonight, the Good Shepherd isn't the one who monitors the gate. He is the gate. You have to walk through that. You have to walk through him. Jesus himself is the gate. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Just like Becky didn't know that with all of her baptisms before. <laughs> she didn't know that. She had to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And a lot of time wet for no good reason. <laughs> he says, anyone, 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 he says, I'm the gate. If anyone enters by the gate, he will be saved, and he will go in and out in pasture. And Becky's one of those people. So if tonight you don't know the good, good shepherd, but you would like to, He's calling you by your name. Just accept him. Or perhaps you've accepted him as your savior, but will you follow him as Lord? Will you live that contented, satisfied life that he has for you? That's what he has called you to, to that abundant life, life to the full. So as Steph comes up, would you close us in prayer, Becky? Oh, I would, I would. Oh Lord, God, we just love you so much. We thank you. We thank you for who you are. And how you go after us, Lord, so aggressively, so that no one would perish. Lord, I just pray for open hearts this evening, and that women who need prayer would not let anything get in the way. It is such an honor to serve you. We thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. And all the women say, Amen. Amen.